This morning we're going to celebrate communion, and I've just kind of, de- kind of designed my message around communion, which I, I haven't done for really quite a while. And I feel really out of place because I don't have my clicker. I always, if you know me, I always have a clicker. I always control what goes on in the PowerPoint. But today I'm dependent upon my wife, Brenda, who's up at the computer. So uh, I tried to be really nice to her this morning. So anyway... Whatever happens, you just got to go with the flow. So I appreciate, she didn't know that until she got here today. But anyway, I appreciate her. And so, uh, you know, I can remember growing up taking communion, as long as I can remember taking it at church. As I became a pastor uh, back around the age of 22, I, you know, you want to try to do everything just right. You know, you're trying to go through your mind every way to do it. and You're trying to make sure it's just right. And I remember as a young pastor there at uh, First Baptist Gerald, one Sunday night we were taking communion and there was a couple visiting from the Assembly of God Church because they didn't have Sunday night service back then. And so they would come and, and visit our church. And so we were having communion and that's when we passed the trays and, and we were passing the bread tray. And, you know, I was trying to look, you know, pastoral up at the front and they were passing the tray. And when we got toward that older couple, he thought it was the offering. And he took out a handful of change and dumped it in the bread tray. And so when he did, there was a deacon's wife right behind them, and she got tickled. How many of you have ever got the, the, the giggles during church? Come on. I mean, it, you know you're not supposed to laugh, and, and you're trying to suppress it. Yeah, you're trying to suppress it. And she was trying to suppress it. I'm standing up there, and when he, when he dumped his change in there, his wife nudged him. How many of you husbands know, can identify, all right? So the wife nudged him, and I'm not good at reading lips, but I, I knew exactly what she said. Maybe she said it out loud, I don't know. But she nudged him real hard and turned as only a wife can, gave him the look. How many of you husbands know what the look is? You know you blew it. So she gave him the look, and she said to him, that's not the offering, dummy. And here these deacons are trying to get the change out of the bread tray. Bread is falling off on the floor. And the the deacon's wife behind is just laughing. And I'm trying to keep my composure. But I found out a long time ago that no matter how dignified you want to look, God can keep you humble. And I also found out that sometimes during the most serious times of ministry, God lets things unravel. I think sometimes the father says to the son, you think we ought to let things get a little crazy? And I think Jesus looks up and says, oh yeah, yeah, let's do it. I heard this last week, just this last week, I talked to a pastor, uh, had an experience. I could write a book about Lord's Supper, baptism, weddings, funerals, all the crazy things that happen at serious times. But a pastor told me this week, uh, they were uh, having a time, and they were passing the tray. And when it came back up, they didn't get enough bread and juice for everybody who was there. And so when they brought the trays back up, they were empty. And he's supposed to take bread and take juice and lead communion. How many of you think it would be nice if the pastor led communion? And so they brought it back. <laughs> trays were empty. And, they, and you got to make an instant decision. You don't have time to pray about it for a couple of days. You just got to make a decision. And so he, you know, again, wanting to look pastoral, he pretended there was bread. He reached in and grabbed, and there was no bread in his fingers. But he went through the motions. He even put it in his mouth. 
swallowed. He didn't have anything in his mouth. Then he took the cup. There was an empty cup. He took an empty cup out, held it where he couldn't see what was in it, went through the motions and pretended to drink it. I think God has a sense of humor. I remember a, a chaplain who had been with the troops when they went into Iraq many years ago. I heard a chaplain speak, and he said to us, he was speaking to some pastors. He said, what would you pastors think about having the Lord's Supper with M&Ms and Kool-Aid? And of course, everybody, oh my gosh, that would be blasphemy. That would be blasphemy. But he said, let me tell you a story. We were getting ready to go into Iraq the following morning, early in the morning. And he said, all the guys, he said, many of the guys there in the troops, our troops over there, over in Iraq, they said to him, we'd really love to have the Lord's Supper before we go into battle. He didn't have any communion elements. All he could find was a bag of M&Ms and some Kool-Aid. And so they did communion with M&Ms and Kool-Aid. And you know what? I think God was okay with that. So sometimes as we step back and look at communion, we all come up with different traditions. But I want to share with you this morning, just as Paul was writing to the church at Corinth, his thoughts about communion. Because they were coming together, and back in that day, church didn't meet in a building like this. They met in homes, and they would have a, a regular meal. They would call it an agape or a love fest. They would have a, a, a meal together, and along with the meal, they would take communion. But there were things that were completely out of order there in the church, all right? So we're going to look at some life lessons from communion at Corinth, all right? What can we learn from the church at Corinth about communion? This is, uh, you find Matthew, Mark, and Luke are all stories of when Jesus originally gave the Lord's Supper or communion, but the teaching of it really is found here in 1 Corinthians because they weren't doing it too well, and so he was going to correct them, all right? So we'll go to the next screen, please. So on Paul's second missionary journey, he founded the church at Corinth. If you remember, when he was at Troas, he was planning on going into Asia, but he had a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come over here. And so they concluded they were supposed to go into what would be modern-day Europe and preach the gospel there. And so Paul went from Troas all the way around to Athens and then to Corinth. Now, Corinth, if you remember, he spent the most time at Ephesus. He spent about three years at Ephesus. But guess which town he spent the second most time in? Corinth. And so in Corinth, if you remember, if you studied Corinth at all, it was a really wicked city. Matter of fact, we would call it Sin City. It really was a sinful place. And what a great place to plant a church. I, I, again, Paul spent 18 months planning a church there. But they had some problems. And so 1 Corinthians is a letter that he writes trying to correct some of the issues in the church at Corinth. How many of you know that every church has problems? Every church. Somebody said, I wish we could go back to the, the first testament, the first, uh, the New Testament church. Which one? There were a lot of New Testament churches. This one had its struggles, all right? This one had its problems, all right? 
Let's go to the next slide, please. And so some of the problems the church had, they were divided over leaders. Some of them said, I'm of Paul. Some said, no, I'm of Apollos. Some said, no, I'm of Peter. Others said, no, I'm, I'm of Jesus. Now, they were divided over leadership. And even today, isn't it amazing how we can follow personalities? I mean, because of different personalities, different gift sets. And I used to always think, man, I'd be with a group that said, I'm of Jesus. That just sounds more spiritual. But let me say this about that group. I'm just giving you my opinion. These people say, I'm of Jesus. Maybe they were saying, I'm not going to really regard any human. You know, sometimes we can be so heavenly minded, we're no earthly good. I believe God has put offices in the church. I believe God has gifted us in the body where we should respect one another. And so if I just say, I'm only following Jesus, I'm not going to regard anything people say. That's wrong, too. And so again, there's a balance with everything. And so they were divided. They were spiritually immature. How many of you ever heard Amy Grant's song, Fat Baby? You need to hear it. It's back in the 70s. It's, it's been a while. But it's about people who have never grown up in the Word. They're really just kind of uh, fat babies. But they were, the Bible says there in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul called them carnal Christians. Because they had never grown up in the Word. So they were a lot of immature believers. They were divided. And they were also condoning adultery. There was an open affair going on in the church. And no one said anything about it. And so there were a lot of problems. And by the way, if the most modern-day pastor were to address this church, they might come into the church saying, You sinners! You sinners! But Paul didn't. If you read the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, it's amazing how Paul wrote to this church. He said, I'm writing to the church of God, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. He first of all told them who they were in Christ, and as a result of who they were in Christ, what they were doing wasn't so good. I just want to tell you today that as we celebrate communion here in just a little bit, we celebrate the transformation that God has made in each of our lives. That we literally have taken on His righteousness. All right, next slide please. And so the background of the book, there was a lot of division going on in the book. How many of y'all have ever had or saw division in the church? Don't look at anybody right now, okay? Don't look at anybody. But, you know, if you've been involved in a church, anytime you get three people together, you have five opinions, all right? And so, again, it's natural that we're going to have differences. But us to be able to love each other is really quite a celebration, all right? Next slide, please. And so let's read kind of the background as he be, is going to address communion or the Lord's Supper. So he starts by saying, now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. Isn't that sad? Actually coming together ended up being worse than, than, it, than before. So he says, I'm not very happy about it. He goes on to say, for first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. Now, we know that they were divided over leadership, but they were also divided over the haves and the have-nots. 
As they gathered together for a meal, some of them would eat before the others came, and they really disregarded each other in the body of Christ. And Paul said, not a good thing. It's, it's not a good thing, all right? So next slide. For there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. So what he's saying is when there is division, those who are real believers will rise to the top. That you're going to find out those who are real from those who are false when they find that, that, that faction, that division in the church. He says, therefore, when you come together in one place, is it not to eat the Lord's Supper? For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others. So again, some who had a lot of stuff, they found themselves indulging before the other members of the, of the church came. And so they were disregarding one another. They were elevating themselves among other members. And Paul said, this is not a good thing. All right. Next slide, please. One is hungry. Another is drunk. What do you not have houses to eat or drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. And so they were getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. They were condoning adultery. They were elevating themselves above other people. And I just want to say that in the body of Christ, there are no important people or unimportant people. In the body of Christ, we literally are one. Now, God has given us different offices, but we're all equal in the sight of God. That really is true, all right? Next slide, please. So first of all, when we think about the Lord's Supper, I want us to first of all think about looking up with thanksgiving. So first of all, as Paul begins to talk about the Lord's Supper, he first of all reminds them that it should be a time to be thankful. I believe we need to look up with thanksgiving, all right? Next slide, please. He says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given... Let's go ahead and do the next slide, please. So he looked up, and the Bible says, first of all, he gave thanks. Now, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record that he gave thanks. So part of communion is looking up and giving thanks. Now, the Bible doesn't say that he looked up at this particular time, but there are other times. You remember when he fed the 5,000? The Bible says when he gave thanks, the Bible says he lifted up his eyes to heaven. The Bible says in John, the prayer of Jesus, that he lifted up his eyes to heaven. My personal opinion is when he gave thanks, I believe that he lifted his eyes to heaven. So part of taking communion is lifting our eyes to heaven and just being thankful to God. And so I want us just to take a minute and I want us, whether we're here, you might be watching by way of stream. I just want you to lift your eyes to heaven. And I want you just as, as honestly as you can, I just want us to say together, thank you, Jesus. So first of all, communion is looking up with a thankful heart. Second thing communion is, is looking back with gratitude. Part of communion is looking back to the cross and remembering the price that Christ paid on Calvary. So Paul went on to say, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take and eat. 
This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so first of all, they would take the bread. Now, they didn't have communion as we have it. They would probably have like a loaf of bread. And they would take the bread and they would break the bread. Now, I want you to imagine for a minute as we think about equality in the body of Christ. If we were to pass this around, and we're not going to do it today. But if we were to pass this around and everybody were to break off a little piece. And we would go all the way around. We all took a little piece off of this loaf. And we all ate that little piece. That one loaf would literally become a part of all of us because we were all eating of the same loaf. In the same way, again, communion, and I, and I love the simple definition of communion as having a common unity. It's coming together with common unity and knowing that as we take the bread that you're taking the same bread that I'm taking the same God that lives in me lives in you and so we're celebrating that God has brought us together through his gift on Calvary it goes on to say in the same manner he also took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me and so we take the bread and we take the cup and he says again, we're to do it in remembrance. So part of the Lord's Supper is looking up with thanksgiving. I think it's looking back with gratitude. And I want you to think for a minute about that juice. I have some grapes here. I've never made juice. But let me ask you something that it would be just a real simple answer. How in the world can these grapes become juice? What has to happen to these grapes in order to make juice, they have to be crushed. I just want to remind you that on Calvary, his body was broken. He was literally crushed for us. And too often, I just take the bread, I take the juice without really reflecting back on the price it cost Jesus for you and I to have eternal life. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie the Passion of Christ. Anybody here remember that movie? I don't, it's been a few years back. But Mel Gibson, and probably it's about as close to accurate as I've seen. I've seen a lot of pictures of Calvary. I have not seen a picture that I think is biblically accurate because I don't know that you could paint one and sell it because I believe the Bible says in Isaiah he was marred more than any man. I think he was so badly broken and squashed and squeezed. I think when he hung on the cross, he was like a chunk of meat up there. Because when we take the juice, we're remembering that he was not only broken for us, but he literally was squeezed and, and, and pushed for us. I remember after seeing the passion of the Christ, I remember... It was super duper quiet after the movie. I mean, it was really, really quiet when everybody exited. And I remembered a couple people as we were walking away from the movie, The Passion of the Christ. I still remember a couple people saying, I don't ever want to sin again. When they realize what it costs Jesus for you and I to have eternal life. And when you just kind of wrap around your mind what he suffered on Calvary. And to realize that he did it for you. 
He loved you so much. To think that holy God, who is a spirit, an infinite God, that he loved us so much, he was willing to come and take on an earth suit and to die on the cross in our place. He loved us so much that he chose to die rather than to have heaven without us. Wow. I love that verse in Hebrews. It says that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Have you ever wondered what the joy that was set before him was? You know, somebody said, well, he's going to get to go back to heaven. That's what he anticipated. But he had that before he came to earth. The only thing that he gained by coming to earth and being broken and squeezed on the cross, the only thing he gained was you and I. The joy he saw on the other side, I believe that as he was dying on the cross... He knew that we were worth Calvary. Wow. That's unbelievable that he would love us so much that he would allow himself to literally be a chunk of meat on the cross because he was willing to die rather than to have heaven without us. That's why when we take the Lord's Supper, it should be a time not only to look up and to give thanks, but I think it should be a time to look back with gratitude with a thankful heart that God loved us that much. You know, the verse we love to quote, for God so loved the world that he gave. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. And so again, the Lord's Supper is a time to look up. It's a time to look back as well. And so the idea of being broken and crushed Again, maybe we take the Lord's Supper out of routine, but I hope it never, ever becomes routine when we think about what Christ went through on the cross. All right, next slide, please. And so there's a song by Stephen uh, Green. I know other people sing it, but it's called Broken and Spilled Out. The first verse of the, of the song talks about the woman that Bob preached about a couple weeks ago who broke the flask and poured out everything on the feet of Jesus. And he talked about how Jesus was worth us pouring out all that we have on him. But the second verse of the song talks about what Jesus did for us as he died on the cross and was broken and squeezed and how much he poured out everything he had because we were worth it. I want you to listen to just that second verse. Some of the pictures I'm going to have up on the screen are from the Passion of the Christ, and they're, they're, they're probably more graphic than I would normally put up. But I don't even believe they do justice to what actually happened. But as you take a gaze back at Calvary, I just want you to understand he literally was broken and crushed for us because he thought we were worth it. Listen to the words of this second verse, broken and spilled out. Father, 
So communion is about a time of, of looking up and saying thanks. It's a time about looking back with gratitude. But it's also a time to look forward with anticipation of his second coming. And so I want you to note what Paul goes on to say here to the church. He says, for every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. And so communion again, a time to be thankful a time to look back with gratitude. But it's also a time that we announce together that one day we believe Christ is coming back. You know, 300 and something prophecies about his first coming and he fulfilled every prophecy. The same God who prophesied that he was coming the first time prophesied that he's coming back. And I just want you to know this world is not our final home. I don't care how crazy it gets out there. As we celebrate communion, we not only look back, but we also look forward. And we believe one day he's coming again. And Jesus said to his disciples, I'm not going to eat or drink of this until that time that he comes back again. One day we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper together with Jesus. And so we're making a proclamation as believers that we not only believe in his death, but we also believe one day... He's coming back. And boy, we anticipate that day. All right, next slide, please. So we not only look up with thanksgiving, not only do we look back with gratitude, 
Not only do we look forward with anticipation, but I believe the Lord's Supper is a time to look within as well. It's a time to examine our own heart. And so he went on to say this to the church at Corinth. Whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Now let me say this. I've had people say to me, Pastor, I just, I just can't eat and take communion. I'm just not worthy. Can I just go on record as saying there's not a person here that's worthy to take the Lord's Supper? I mean, I've been in ministry 42 years. If anybody, I mean, I should have made it by now. But I'm no more worthy to take the Lord's Supper based on my performance than I was on day one. It's not about are we worthy because none of us are worthy. That's why he died while we were yet sinners. We're not celebrating the fact that we're worthy, he says, in an unworthy manner. I believe that if we're not giving thanks to God, if we don't have a thankful heart, if we're not looking back with gratitude, if we're not anticipating his coming, it's a matter of looking within and saying, God, I just want my heart to be thankful. I want to have a heart that looks back in appreciation. I want to proclaim that one day you're coming again. And God, I stand before you today unworthy based on my own merit. But I just want to celebrate the Lord's Supper because of what you've done for me. I believe they were going through the motions of the Lord's Supper without really, really thinking about how important it was. And so again, if you, if you ever come and say, Pastor, I, I just don't know if I'm worthy. You're not worthy. I'm not worthy. We don't take the Lord's Supper because our performance says that we're worthy. I'm not worthy. But I can stand before God with a grateful heart as I give thanks to God, as I appreciate the, with gratitude that he died for me, that one day he's coming again. And I just want with a humble heart just to say thanks to God. He goes on to say that we need to look around about the body of Christ. So again, communion is looking up, giving thanks. It's looking back with gratitude about what he prayed the price on Calvary. It's looking forward with anticipation that one day he's coming again. It's taking a moment to examine our heart, but it's also an opportunity to look around in the body of Christ. You ever wonder why we don't send these home with you and just say to take it at home? Because there's something about communion that we celebrate together. Again, it's like passing around the bread. We all take from the same bread. We all drink from the same cup. There's something that we do together that we celebrate the body of Christ. You know, I just want to say to you, as we think about the church at Corinth, they again, they were kind of divided over the haves and the have-nots. But that's not the way the church should be. The church should be about believers that not only are in love with God, but we're in love with each other. As a matter of fact, John said it's impossible to love God who you haven't seen if you can't love his people who you have seen. There's some, you say, why do we even come together on Sunday? Can I be honest? You can hear better preaching at home on TV. Now, I remember when Ed Young, I see Ellen here. Ed Young was in the back one day. I said something like that. I said, man, you can hear better preaching at home. Ed Young said, you're not lying there, brother. I say, Ed, not now, baby, not now. 
Ed was always trying to help me out. But why do we come together? It's not because you can't hear better preaching at home. Because God designed the church where we need each other. I mean, I need you. You need me. We need each other. There are no varsity and junior varsity. There are no, again, important and unimportant. Everyone in the body of Christ is absolutely equal in the sight of God. And so as we're taking the cup, Paul says you shouldn't be dividing yourself over the haves and haves not. You should be equal in the body of Christ. So communion, the reason we celebrate it together is because God has united us together through his death on the cross. You have the same spirit of God in you that I have in me. And so God has brought us together to celebrate. He says here, Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Have some compassion for each other and realize that we're all equal in the body of Christ. He goes on to say, actually back in chapter 10, he says this, The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? And then he goes on to say, The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? That word communion, by the way, is the Greek word koinonia. It, most of the time, it's translated fellowship, same exact word. And again, I love the definition of communion that says common unity. As we take communion, we are confessing that we are common unity, that we are together, we are one in Christ, that you're as important to God as anyone else. Last verse. For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. As we get ready to celebrate communion, again, I believe from the teaching today, Paul is saying, remember to look up with thanksgiving. Remember to look back with gratitude. Remember to look forward with anticipation. Always take a moment and look within and examine your heart but then to look around at the body of Christ. I can't tell you, there are no words to express how blessed I feel to be a part of this body. You know, I have pastors say to me, man, I, you know, there's problems in the church. I can't get anybody to do anything. That's not true here. I want to say this body is one of the most giving, serving bodies on the planet. And I believe part of taking communion, again, is not only looking up and looking back and looking forward and looking within, but it's looking around. I'm glad God designed this thing where we need each other. I want you to take just a minute. Don't get up, but I just want you to turn your head as far as your head will go from side to side. I want you to look around at the body of Christ. One of the hardest years of my life has been last year. I cannot tell you how difficult it is to try to pastor a church when we're all told to stay home. Because it goes against everything God created the church to be. But I understand it. I understand why. I'm naturally a hugger, I confess. I'm bad. 
I'm naturally a handshaker, a hugger, but I've tried, I tried to behave. But I hope nobody walks out of here today and does not feel loved by God. God could not love you more. That's why I think when we get to heaven, and by the way, when Jesus rose from the grave, he still had the marks of Calvary. I believe throughout all eternity as we look into the face of Jesus and as we look down at his hands, I don't think we will ever, ever, ever forget the price that he paid for us to get to heaven. So this morning, we're going to celebrate communion. Now, normally, I would tell you to take these and to throw them away at the end of the service because they are disposable. Here's what I want to ask you to do today. When we get done with, with communion, I want to ask you to consider taking it home with you, the cup. And just putting it somewhere that you'll see it every day this week, whether by your sink in the bathroom, by the refrigerator, maybe in your car somewhere. And I hope that as you look at this communion cup, you're going to be reminded of having a grateful heart, being thankful, remembering the price that Christ paid, that one day he's coming back. I hope this cup is a reminder of how much God loves you. And I hope it's an encouragement that as we go through our daily journey, I think God wants us to slow down and just love each other in the body of Christ. You know, in preparing the message, it was one of those times you sit before God and you say, how, how can you really describe your love? That's why Paul said again, to know the height, the depth, the width, the length, to know the love of Christ is beyond knowledge. It's something you can't even wrap your mind around. But I hope this week you feel more love than you've ever felt because you know that you were worth Calvary. It's no wonder that when we get to heaven, the Bible says we're going to fall down before the throne. I don't know how many hundreds of years we're going to be just laying before the throne, just blown away when we see the holiness of God and realize that he loved us so much, he was willing to give up all that Shekinah glory to come down and to go to Calvary for us. But the Lord's Supper is a celebration. So I want us just, if we can, just real quickly, let's just look up one more time and say, thank you, Jesus. Let's take a minute and just think back to the cross. And I just want you to reflectively... Just say, thank you, Jesus. I want us to think about one day he's coming again, and one day we're going to be able to sit down as a body of Christ, and we're going to be able to take the supper together with Christ. I hope today you walk away not feeling that you are somehow worthy to take it, but just understanding the value of the Lord's Supper, and that's why we're able to take it. And I just want to encourage you again, to share love along the journey this week. So we're going to begin with the bread that's on the bottom side. So if you'll turn the, with the juice down, the bread up, and you can peel that tab off and you can get to that piece of bread. As they did on that first night, Jesus said, Take and eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Each time you eat it, 
I want you to remember me. So I want us 2,000 years later to still reflect back to that incredible gift that God gave on Calvary. Let's eat together. The Bible says in the same manner they took the cup. And so if you'll turn it over where the juice is at the top and take that tab and just kind of pull that off. And again, I just want you just to reflectively think about how this juice was made. A reminder that Jesus was crushed for us so that we could have eternity. And as they passed out the cup, Jesus said, This cup represents a new covenant in my blood. Each time you drink it, I want you to remember me. So as we drink, I just want you to, to remember Calvary. Let's drink together. So again, normally I would tell you to throw these away on your way out, and you can do that if you want. I just want to encourage you to hang on to these and just put it somewhere and just be reminded of God's incredible love for you. I want us to pray together. Uh, let's all stand. If there's anyone here that needs uh, someone to pray with you or pray for you, we would love to do that. If you're here today and, and maybe for the first time in your life, today's the day that you need to accept Christ into your life, I just want to encourage you to do that. If you've never been baptized, I believe that's the first step of obedience. I had two young people in the 8 o'clock service who had accepted Christ, and they're going to they're gonna follow in baptism. That's exciting. I hope you remember, again, how much God loves you. How much you're worth to God. And I hope that as we grow closer to God, we continue to grow closer to each other, not because we have it all together. Some people may say to you, how can you go to that church? There's all kinds of problems. The pastor's a mess. Yeah, I know. It's only one way to describe it, and that's the love of God. 